with comforting insights on the nature of our Lord Jesus. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. Jesus always was. In beginning, literally, Jesus was already there. Eternity backwards, as far as you can go. Eternity forward, as far as you can go. And this moment, Jesus has always been there and always will. So if I think I have a problem that I'm worried about for tomorrow, I'm an idiot to not give it to the one who has always been, is now, and will be there tomorrow. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. You've no doubt heard it said that laughter is the best medicine. Well, it's also been said that if you're laughing for no reason, you need medicine. But all kidding aside, there are indeed times when we need medicine, sometimes strong medicine. We'll learn about some strong medicine, in a manner of speaking, today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We've been making our way through 1 Timothy, and in chapter 3, verse 16, we're given the remedy to what ails the world. It's Jesus, who's not only our great physician, but also our cure. Last time we began considering that God is big enough to meet this great need of ours. Pastor Ed Ray begins today by illustrating that profound mystery. I read of this college professor. He's a philosopher, but a believer, which is sometimes not together. But he's a professor of philosophy in a school in New York, and he was teaching a humanities class at the university. It's required for freshmen, and which means they'd study Greek philosophy and everything up. And the, when he gets to the New Testament, which was part of the curriculum, one of the students, a freshman, said, for me to believe in God, I have to have a God that I can understand. The professor smiled as he said, God refuses to be that small. <laughs> which I think is probably the best answer I've ever heard. That's truth, it's not sarcastic, but what the professor is saying is that if you could understand God, he would not be capable of running the world and the universe, your life and everybody else's life around us. Jesus is capable of doing that because we do not fully understand him. He said that through Isaiah the prophet, it's in 55 verse 8, my thoughts are not as your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than yours. So God is not being arrogant or saying he, he doesn't want us to know him, just the opposite. It's just that our little peanut brains cannot hold the great truths about who he is and what he is capable of doing. It's not a put off, it's not a push away, it's a come. And when we see him, we will be like him and we will know as he is known, but that does not mean that we will grasp everything of how he keeps protons and neutrons living together in the same shell in chemistry. Uh, if you didn't understand what I said, it does not matter at all. Okay, sorry, my brain just thinks that way. Mm, okay, 
godliness, the mystery of literally goodliness, and which is not really a English term, but if we could translate it, that would be the closest, the mystery of the goodliness. Another translator said, it is the word balance, or probably even closer, wholeness. The mystery of becoming whole. We like to say, I need to get it all together. I got to get my life all together. I I want it all balanced. I want it whole. That wholeness comes by a surrender to God. That's where Paul is going with this, that this goodliness, this wholeness is part of this mystery. This mystery of God, great is the mystery of godliness, is also a play on words for the people who received this letter, Timothy first and then the church. I told you about Artemis, this temple. If you go to Acts chapter 19, verse 28, you'll find that all the people of Ephesus are upset because the gold and silversmiths who make little goddesses of Artemis were running out of business. People weren't buying their little idols any longer. And so they start a riot, and they go into the theater of Ephesus, which you can visit, go sit in today, and they started screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul says, not so much. Great is God Almighty, this mystery of God. So it's pillar fit for these who are listening. Now, Paul tells us that the secret is, in fact, Jesus himself. That sounds too simple, Pastor. Well, listen to the way he said it to the Colossians. First chapter to the Colossians, verse 26. And uh, Colossae was uh, a one-day walk from Ephesus. He said, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the believers, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery, the riches of what this mystery really means among the Gentiles, the nations, which is, wait for it, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that has been revealed that Paul has written down for us this poem, this understanding. Okay, so... That's where we're going. We have these three couplets that are tied together. All that to get to this, all right? First of all, the incarnation, right? We're in Southern California, so you know this Latin word, incarnation. Incarni asada. (laughs) See? You speak Latin already, just like that. Same in Spanish, all right? In the flesh. So, the first couplet, God was manifested or displayed or portrayed in the flesh. Okay, Jesus is deity. That's what this is saying. Jesus is God. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity is difficult to understand, that there is one God, three persons in it. And if I was setting this thing up, thank God I'm not, that if I had set this up, I would have made... Christianity a little easier to grasp, but it's not built for us to grasp. It's built for us to believe because that's the reality of who God is. So we start with the most difficult concept that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, left heaven and was displayed 
in flesh. The word the isn't actually there in the Greek language. The definite article is not there. So it's in flesh. God in flesh. Think about that. God left eternity, always was, has always existed. Try and just think about that for a moment. Pre-existent. It's an oxymoron. Existent means here and now. Pre has always existed. Infinite. Infinite. Finite means measurable. In, in front of it, means not measurable. Time without measure. Before, (laughs) it's getting deep, hang on. Before time began, Jesus was. Pastor, that makes sense. I'm just telling you what Scripture says and we believe it. Here's what John wrote in his gospel. Gospel of John, opening statement. In the beginning, the Word The Word was God, the Word is God, and then verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why do you call Jesus the Word? Because this is God displayed. He came and spoke so that we could hear. So Jesus always was. In beginning, literally, Jesus was already there. Eternity backwards, as far as you can go. Eternity forward, as far as you can go. And this moment, Jesus has always been there and always will. So if I think I have a problem that I'm worried about for tomorrow, I'm an idiot to not give it to the one who has always been, is now, and will be there tomorrow. That's where this is going. Okay, so Jesus was in beginning, manifested, displayed, declared. And in a sense, Jesus became the same thing you are. The God of creation, the one who started the Big Bang, John says. Nothing was created that was not created through him. The Big Bang, scientifically accepted by 99.9% of every physicist, astronomer, and astrophysicist in the world today. Stephen Hawking tried to explain it in his book. I have the book. I've read it. It was a bestseller, but nobody I've talked to was ever able to get past about the 20th page, okay? But it's about the first three minutes of the Big Bang when God created every particle. Go with me just a minute. Okay, hang on. Everything is compressed that to now that now is here, made out of atoms, compressed down to singularity, it's called. Everything that's now out as far as you want to say, was compressed down to a little ball smaller than the head of a pin. And then, big bang. I mean, we're talking major bang. And one times 10 to the 90th power of nucleons shattered out and created stars and elements and planets. In three minutes, this thing exploded. And if it was off by one times 10 to the 121st power, there'd be no life in the universe. That's not a Christian that wrote that. These are astrophysicists who are non-believers. That the cosmological constant, how fast this thing is expanding from that moment, singularity, if it was off by a number that's one with 121 zeros after it, if it had 
120 zeros or 122 zeros, no life. None whatsoever. The one who created that, the infinite, became finite. The eternal became temporal. The one who always was stepped into time, constricted himself into the fourth dimension. God entered time and made himself subject to it. He was capable of doing that. The invisible became visible. The creator became the created. Brief history and time, Stephen Hawking's. The sustainer that holds everything together became dependent. The almighty, all-powerful became weak. God became man, down to a little baby, six, seven, eight, nine pounds. A little, can I say, scrawny baby, the creator of all things. And that's just the first concept. Profound concept Pastor Ed Ray is exploring today on Grow in Grace from 1 Timothy chapter 3. And now to take us deeper into these verses, here's Pastor Ed beginning at verse 16 justified by the Spirit. Now, justified means just as if you had never sinned. In this case, it means slightly different. Jesus has never sinned, and it was proved, vindicated, displayed by what he did through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did miracles through Jesus that are mind-boggling, that proved, according to John's gospel, that he was, in fact, the creator of the universe. What? John, and if you haven't read this, or you haven't read it in a long time, go back and read it I've chosen these seven miracles. The, the Gospel of John has seven miracles in it. He said, there were so many miracles that all the books in the world couldn't contain all that he did. But I've chosen these seven that you might believe that he is the Messiah and believing that you would have eternal life. He wrote that Gospel. You who are struggling, you don't know if there is a God, agnostic or atheist, you don't believe there is one, read that book. I dare you. I double dog dare you. <laughs> Read it, because it displays God as the creator, exactly what this says, on earth, and verified it by the miracles he did. First miracle in John, for example, is Jesus turning water into wine. Okay, a little slight hand. <laughs> no, no, no. We need to think about what that says. Okay, so wine is sugar in water, glucose and it grows on in grapes, and they squash it and put it in. But it takes time to ferment. It has vintage. There are four, more than 450 phenols and acids and aromatic hydrocarbons, and I could bore you to death with the chemistry of just wine. Bacteria and yeast that are today being cloned up in Napa so that they can get exactly the same flavor every year. All that happened long distance. Jesus said, go fill up those water jars and then take some out and give it to the chief steward. So the guy fills up these 45, 50 gallon water jars, dips them out and goes, he's gonna think I'm crazy. He doesn't know who Jesus is. And he gives it to the steward. The steward says, this is amazing wine. And he takes it to the, the bride groom and says, you know, most people put out the good wine 
first so that everyone who's sober will think, what amazing wine. And then when they get tanked, then you take out the cheap stuff, right? <laughs> Don't ask me how I know that, okay. <laughs> Didn't become a Christian until I was 26, okay? And the guy says, but you bring the best out at the end of the feast. The vintage, the time, the age of that Jesus is the Lord of time and space, didn't touch it, and the material universe. Suspended the laws of physics and chemistry and mathematics and dimensions to create wine out of water. That's what Paul is saying here, that he proved he was the creator by creating stuff out of simple things. And we could talk about the other miracles walking on water. How about that for a mind blower? How do you do that? I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I can tell you all about the water molecule, got this 102 degree dihedral angle, and, when, and on and on. But the truth is, I'd just be snowing you. I have no idea how he did that because he is the creator of the universe. God came to earth and showed he was God by the things he did. Second couplet, seen by angels preached among the Gentiles. Seen by angels. Uh, the word ophthalma in the Greek language is where we get a word optometrist or optics. It's literally translated eyeball. So the angels eyeballed Jesus. That's easy to remember that. Jesus was watched constantly by angels. What's with the angels? They're there in Bethlehem. They're there before Jesus is born, talking to Mary and Martha. They put on a choir presentation on the hills of Bethlehem for some shepherds, break into song. They're there when Jesus is grown and he's in the garden and soldiers come, the guards from the temple, and Peter, you know, whops off an ear of the high priest's servant, and Jesus, put away your sword. I could call down legions of angels. They're right there, got their hands on their sword hilt, ready to come. All he had to do was, and they, they'd been there. They ministered to him when he wept, and they ministered to him when Satan tempted him, and they were there when the tomb was opened. They were there. What's going on there? Peter tells us that the angels long to understand what has happened to you and to me. You see, they've never experienced salvation. They've never been redeemed. They don't understand grace until they look around this room and they go, oh my goodness. I heard a guy talking about a play that was about the thief on the cross, and he shows up at the front gate of heaven and there's an angel there, and he looks him up and down and goes, have you been saved? And the guy said, I don't know. He said, well, have you been justified? Steve says, I don't know, what is it? He said, uh, are you sanctified? And the guy says, I have no idea. He said, wait right here, don't move. You guys watch him, the rest of the angels, right? And so he goes to Michael, and he says, Michael, there's a guy out in front. He says, yeah, I know. He looks really bad. He says, yeah, I know. He says, how did he get here? Why is he here? He's, he's in the wrong place, right? He says, no. The Lord said he was supposed to be here in paradise. The Lord said that? Yes. So, oh. 
That's embarrassing. And so he's walking back, and he says, and he says there's a whole lot more coming. <laughs> Thieves, all of us, right? Okay. So the angels are watching that. Oh, preached by among the Gentiles, spoken to the nations. And what was still amazing to Paul and to the church was Peter gets up and he preaches to 3,000 people and they all get saved. He gives a one-minute sermon. It's not really a great sermon. I've read it over and over again. 3,000 people came and that was happening all over the known world. That's astounding. That proves who Jesus is. Believed on in the world. They heard it and they believed it and received up in glory. They watched him go up eyeballs. They saw Jesus ascend into heaven and the people that saw it, many of them were still alive when they were singing this song in church. If you had been there and watched Jesus go up on the Mount of Olives, do you think you could sing that line without weeping? No, no way. You would break down. Let me close with this. So it's 1840 and it's in Milan, Italy. Huge cathedral there. You can go and visit it today has the largest pipe organ in the world, 16,000 pipes. The tallest one is almost 70 feet tall, seven stories tall. Amazing pipe organ. First one there was in the 1300s. So it's this ancient site that many people, most people go to Milan anyway, want to go see the cathedral and the organ. So in 1840, there's a, a sexton. He's like the custodian. And he's there on a Saturday and he's getting ready for church. And this uh, guy comes in the side door. He's dressed nice, and he, he looks fine. He, he walks up, and he said, can I look at the organ? And the sexton looks around. He says, yeah, but you can't touch it. And so he, he walks up, and he looks at it, and just amazed at it. And he said, can I just touch the keyboard? He said, okay, you can touch the keyboard. Very gentle. It wasn't turned on, so you couldn't hear it. The man said, I would give anything to play that instrument. And the custodian said, are you any good? He said, a little. He said, okay, nobody's here, just the assistant and I, go ahead and play. Guy sat down and whips out the concerto of concertos. And the sexton is listening, and he's weeping by the second verse. And the assistant is weeping. This guy just smokes this organ from the lowest note to the highest note, and it fills the cathedral and people outside are sticking their head in, listen to this guy and the, he finishes the piece and the sexton can barely talk and, and finally he says thank you and the guy said oh no thank you and he's walking he says, he said, who are you? he said Felix Mendelssohn greatest organist ever composer right? and he walked out and the guy turns to his assistant and he said to think I almost didn't let him play so that I didn't get to hear. You are the instrument of God. You are the poema in the Greek language. You are his poetry. You are his musical instrument, and he wants to play you, bring out all that you are to the world around you. You have people in your life that nobody else knows the way you do. You have a gift from God, a license from the creator of the universe to tell them, about this Jesus who we've been talking about. Pastor Ed Ray challenging us to yield to the Lord 
the master musician, that our lives might be a gospel song to the world around us. You're listening to Grow in Grace and a part of our study in 1 Timothy. Get today's study on CD by calling us toll-free at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. Again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but we are listener-supported ministry. And if God is calling you to take part in the ministry through a financial gift, we'd like to say thanks by sending you Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. Maybe prayer to you is just something you do without much thought before a meal or just another thing to cross off your to-do list. There's great power through prayer, and this book will help to elevate your thinking about it to see how it truly makes a difference. This guidebook provides believers with information about the most effective ways to use prayer to better understand God's Word, to fully appreciate divine power, and more deeply commune with God. Again, that's your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can call 844-77-GRACE. We are always touched when we hear about what God is doing through this radio ministry. If you're growing in grace as you study alongside us, would you mind shooting us an email today? Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. Then join us back here next time for Grow in Grace as we return to 1 Timothy. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place got a dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 